very much and good morning ladies and gentlemen. It's a good day, isn't it? And it's always good to be with God's people. Have you noticed that? Where the Word of God is honoured and where God himself is praised and it's great to be with you this morning. Thank you for the invitation. Gwenda unfortunately can't be here because she took crook yesterday, had a bad night and she's really bad so it wasn't fair on anybody for her to come today. But anyway, she sends her love and would like to be here, but that's just how it is. Before we actually open the book of God, I'd just like to mention a couple of things. By the way, Luke is such a good promo man. I can see that he's going to have to be a lecturer before too long. But it's our privilege to be involved in that to a certain extent. I took two streams this year, and at this stage, three next year, but it will be two. We're not quite sure. But anyway, it's a great time, and most of the people that are there are about 20. And it's really good to have all these young people there who are studying the Word of God. And it's from 8.30 in the morning to about 5.30 in the afternoon. And it's pretty solid, but it attracts people who really want to get to know the Word of God and to go get to know God himself. Now, I'd just like to mention a couple of things. A lot of people think that GLOW has died. It isn't. It actually is exploding faster possibly than ever before. And Gwenda and I are representatives of Glow Australia in New Zealand. And because of that, I want to mention this Spearhead magazine. There are a number of them you'll find on the table there as you go out. We'd like you to take one or more if you want to. I've got tons. Well, not quite literally tons, but quite a few. And we'd like you to become aware of the work. This year, for example, probably three new training centres in three different countries will be started in the Asian area. So amazing things are happening, and we'd like you to become aware of them. Two years ago, might have been three years ago, I wrote a book called Your Secret World, and we'd like to make them available to you today. And because you're my friends, there's no charge. Now, I mean, if you want to make a donation, that helps, because it costs something. But anyway, the idea is, it's called Your Secret World, and the idea is we all have a secret world. And it's there that we win or lose. You don't know, for example, whether I love God with all my heart. I might be putting it on, and I don't know if you do. And I don't know if you love God with your soul. You don't know if I do. It's all our secret world, but it's there that we win or lose. So this book is seeking to understand and apply what it is to have Christ dominant in our secret world. If you'd like to take one, you're very welcome. They're at the door, on the table, and... If you want to make a donation, that's good. If you can't, that doesn't matter. It's not to make money. It's to minister to God's people. Now, I've been asked if I would take some aspect of Luke chapter 2, and as I understand it, you're going through this gospel. And so I want to take the subject which I have called Little Boy Lost. And we'll expand a little bit as we get into the subject But I'm reading from Luke chapter 2, from verse 41. And it reads like this. Every year, his, Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware, unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. 
When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. If you're a parent, you probably have the experience of having lost your child for a while. And as I was seeking to develop the message for this morning, I remembered when our son Richard, our youngest boy, we have four children, our youngest boy was 10 years of age and we were in Palmerston North. We were there to celebrate Gwenda's father's 80th birthday, Jim McElwain, and we went to the square in Palmerston North. It was Friday night. And in those days, the square in the centre of Palmerston North had a bad reputation. All kinds of skullduggery went on there at night time in the square. And Luke, his brother, somehow had a misunderstanding with Richard and they just didn't cross paths. And eventually, Richard was lost. And there he was at night time, a 10-year-old boy. And when I talked to him recently, he said one of the things he remembers, he was jingling a whole lot of money in his pocket. He was very anxious and he was crying. And he thought, I'll never see my mum and dad again. This is my life from this moment on. He was very distressed because he was lost. And we were distressed. And we were rushing around like parents do when they've lost a child. And eventually went to the police station and there he was, quite happy, in the care of the police. Tremendous relief to us. And I'm sure you've had experiences, if you're a parent and your children have reached a certain age, of having lost your child even for a while. Now we're reading this morning and we're thinking particularly about our Lord Jesus when he was lost. He wasn't lost, truly. It was actually that his parents lost him. He knew where he was. He knew what he was doing. He was more than just a little boy lost. Now, in this chapter, we read about our Lord Jesus being dedicated or consecrated to God in the temple. And then there follows 30 silent years. We know very little about our Lord Jesus. We don't have detailed discourses or explanations or descriptions of what happened to our Lord during those 30 silent years, but we have this incident. And so it stands out as being the biggest look that we have into the boyhood of our Lord Jesus. They both happen in the temple, that is the consecration of Jesus as a baby and the boy Jesus in the temple. It's sometimes useful to explain that there's a difference between a temple and a synagogue. We read in the Bible about synagogues and we read about the temple. There's only one authorized temple and that was in Jerusalem and that was the center of the Jewish belief. And there were hundreds of synagogues around the inhabited world. If you had 10 
adult males, Jewish males, you could form a synagogue to pray and to study the Bible. But there was only one place where sacrifices were made, and that was in the temple in Jerusalem. Now, the incident of Jesus being presented and Jesus being discovered both happened in the temple. And this is the center of Jewish faith and the center of Jewish belief. Of course, they believed in God, but the temple was where God made himself known. Now, as we look at this particular event of the boy Jesus at the temple, I'd like to make a number of applications because, you see, it's very easy just to read the chapter, make a few comments, but that's not the purpose. The purpose of Bible teaching is to apply the Scriptures because, you see, the Bible is inspired by God and is profitable. It's profitable for instruction. It's profitable for rebuke. It's profitable for correction. And it's profitable for training in righteousness. And so if we do more, or should I say, if we do no more than just read the text, then we're not fulfilling the purpose of the Bible, which is to somehow shape us. So we should somehow, in some way, be different in an hour's time than we are right now. That's the purpose of the script. So I want to make a few applications as we go through the story. And the first that I want to make is that all families sometimes face problems. Now, wouldn't it be good if, as parents, we never had a problem with our children and never had a problem with our family, but life just doesn't roll out like that? One of the things that I'm sure we'd all like to know is more about the boyhood of Jesus and the family life that our Lord enjoyed. I mean, we know so little about these 30 silent years. We'd like to know more about Joseph, for example. I mean, when you come to the crucifixion, you don't read about Joseph. You read about Mary. Where was he? Was he dead? And most people conjecture that probably he was dead by that time, but we don't know. We know that he was a carpenter, and we know that our Lord Jesus Christ was a carpenter by training, we assume that it was his father who taught him, but we're not sure. He lived in Nazareth. We know that he had brothers, half-brothers, and he had sisters. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, when our Lord Jesus was preaching, they were amazed as he was speaking such truth and they couldn't believe that a local boy could have such wisdom. And they said, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon and Judas? And aren't all his sisters with us? So he had four half-brothers and they were all named after Old Testament heroes. James, you know, means Jacob. And then you find that there was not only Jacob, but there was Joseph, Simeon, or Simon, and Judah. And so all his brothers were named after Bible heroes, and we're not given, for whatever reason, we do not know, we're not given the names of his sisters. But it was quite a big family, and he was brought up there, and you can be sure that it was like, in many ways, your family and mine. And the reality is that every family faces anxiety sometimes. It could be that you're here this morning and while you listen, politely listen, your heart is breaking because of your family. And you're very anxious about things that are happening in your family and your children and your grandchildren. And that's natural because that's how it is. 
And even in the family of our Lord Jesus, there were times of anxiety, and this is one of those times of anxiety in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's tremendous panic because they've just been to the temple, they've done their duty, and as we find, for example, in Isaiah, it was a time of great feasting as they travel together and they sing songs and they intermingle with each other, and it's a great family time as they go up to Jerusalem. By the way, whenever you read about going towards Jerusalem in the Bible, it's always going up to Jerusalem, and when you go away from Jerusalem, you go down from Jerusalem, even if you're going north, it says, it doesn't say you're going up to Jerusalem. Or if you're going south, it doesn't say you're going down to Jerusalem. You say you go up to Jerusalem. That's just by the way. But anyway, as they're going up to Jerusalem, there's feasting and there's joy and there's games and there's fun. And you can imagine that, as the Bible says, Mary and Joseph, as they were going home down from Jerusalem, they imagined that their little boy, 12 years of age, was with the greater family. Eventually, after a day, they tried to find him, and he wasn't there. He was lost. And you can imagine the panic. I mean, I know what panic is, and you probably know what panic is. And they were panicking, and they go back to Jerusalem. And so it's three days since they've seen their little boy. And you can understand that they feel very, very panicky at that time. Eventually, they find him. He's in the temple. And that's a most unexpected setting. They never expected to see their 12-year-old just there in the temple, never expected it. It was an unexpected ability because he, just a boy, he's asking questions and he's answering questions among the leading religious teachers of the day. I mean, that's pretty unexpected. And you find that there's an unexpected explanation in verse 49. And our Lord Jesus says, Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I have to be in my father's house, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now here we find that our Lord is very surprised by his parents' reaction and says, why are you searching for me? He's surprised that they didn't know where he was. Did he tell them and they'd forgotten? We don't know, but he's surprised that they don't know. And he said, I had to be in my father's house. And that's a problem because wasn't Joseph his legal father? What does he mean he has to be in his father's house? He was in the temple. You know because you're a Christian. And you know because you read your Bible. You know he's referring to his heavenly father. But you can understand the consternation that his mum and dad had. And it says, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. I read a statement some time ago, and that is that you can learn many things from children. How much patience you have, for example. You know, and they need a lot of patience. But they must have been so relieved to find their boy. And you know what the relief is, the tremendous overwhelming feeling of relief when you find your child. All parents, we do. You do, if you're a parent. You struggle sometimes. And it's quite hard to know the best thing to do for our children, isn't it? Now, as I said, these incidents that we're looking at in Luke chapter 2 show our Lord Jesus Christ, first of all, as a baby and then as a boy. And you find that there are two comments that are made to summarize what actually happened. I mean, how did Mary react to these situations? Now, first of all, 
When there was the great demonstration of those angels and they came and you know the story, how they proclaimed to you in the city of David is born a child. And it says after that, Mary treasured all these things that the shepherds had said and pondered them in her heart. And then after this event that we're reading about and thinking about particularly right now, about our Lord as a boy in the temple, it says, and after they returned to Nazareth with a 12-year-old boy, it says, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. So several times it says, she could hardly understand it. I mean, what does it mean? And then there's that statement, uh, uh, you know, you'll be pierced in your own heart, Mary. There were a lot of things to ponder. I mean, this was no ordinary child. I mean, her own gestation was normal, but the conception was quite supernatural, as you know, because she was a virgin. She knew it. Joseph knew it. We know it. And she pondered all these things in her heart. And sometimes as we take a little baby in our arms and we see that beautiful, cute little face, once the swelling's gone down, you know, and we think, what's going to happen to this child? We read in Matthew, uh, Luke, actually, in the chapter beforehand, and have John the Baptist, and he's born, and uh, amazing things are being said about him, and they think, what kind of child will this be? And when we take a child, and we look at a child, or a boy, or a girl, and we think, what's going to happen to him or her? What kind of person is this person going to be? What tremendous potential? And so it says that Mary pondered all these things in her heart. There's a song which has become quite popular in recent years by Mark Lowry, and a couple of verses go like that. I won't sing it, you know, I, that's not my role. But it goes like this, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? The child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? The sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. And we could imagine as Mary gets her little boy and cares for her little boy and thinks of all the things that have been said about her little boy, she must be wondering, what's this all about? This is an amazing child, a unique child. What kind of child is he going to be? And so she pondered all these things in her heart. And after the event in the temple, the 12-year-old boy, she treasured them in her heart. Something pretty exciting going on as she thinks about her little boy. Now, both sections, that is the section in the temple, the first one, when he's a baby, and the second one, when he's a boy, finishes with a summary, and it goes like this. For example, 52, 53. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Have you ever wondered about that? 
Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, apart from our Lord's miraculous conception, he developed normally and naturally. You know, there's that um, Christmas carol that we sing, Way in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. And it's talks about no crying he makes. Why do they say that Jesus never made any cry? I'm sure he cried. I mean, there hasn't been a child born who didn't cry. Then our Lord would have cried and sometimes he would have woken his parents up because, you see, he was normal. He was God now in flesh and he's something that he'd never been before. He is man, but he never ceases to be what he always was before God. It's hard for us to understand, but that's the mystery of godliness, to use a biblical expression. And so you find that he grows, the, gest uh, the gestation is normal, the aging process is normal, the maturing is normal, because you see, he's not pretending to be a man, he is a man, well, a child at this particular stage of his development. One point that I would make is that we should never underestimate the ability of a child to understand great truths. Now, of course, our Lord is unique. And that's where it's quite difficult sometimes to make an application. But I'm sure that it's true. While our Lord was this, the Son of God, and he was God in flesh, and so in that sense he's different from us, and yet in all families we find that children understand a lot more than we think they understand. I was just five years old when I accepted the Lord. In fact, I wasn't even five my parents had just come to faith in Christ, and you put dates together, and I find that because of the invasion of Christ into our home, everything changed, and it was that year, 1947, that I accepted the Lord, and it was just three days before I turned five. And then my parents say that I became an evangelist at five, and I got all my friends, and I was trying to preach the gospel to them. Can't remember that, but that's what I'm told. You know, but the reality is that Young children understand a lot more than we think they do. So don't act them like people who can't understand. And by the time our Lord is 12, in his development, you find that he's, well, of course, he's exceptional, but he's growing. And the Bible says that he actually grew in wisdom. Now, we can understand that because children do usually grow in wisdom. You know, and our Lord certainly did, and you see a sample of it. He's here in the temple, and he's asking questions, and he's asking questions. You know, as I look back on my own youth, a lot of the stuff that I learned, and that was minimal, really, but what I actually learned, I learned by talking to my friends and asking questions and querying everything, and with, as William MacDonald would say, with a question mark for a brain, always asking things. And here you find our Lord Jesus is also answering questions, but he's asking questions as well. And we can understand that he grew in wisdom, and we can understand that he grew in stature, because obviously physically he developed, and as I said, he even aged, as other people do. And we can understand that he grew in favor with men, that is, with people, as he grew in charisma, no doubt a very charismatic type of child with lots of ability and gifting, and he would get on very well with people, and he grew in favor with people. What's perhaps more difficult for us to understand, well, it could be, it actually says that he grew in favor with God. 
Now, what does it mean that he grew in favor with God? Now, it does not imply that there was a time when he didn't enjoy the approval of his God, the approval of his Father. It does not mean that at all. But I take it to mean that as he grew, everything that he did had the stamp of God's approval upon it. And as he grew, God's favor was upon him. And as he bursts upon the scene in his public ministry, we have this, for example, in Matthew chapter 3. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. And so as he grew, in every development, in every period, the Father could look at his Son and be well pleased in his Son. I said that young children understand more than sometimes we credit them for. It's also true that our children learn more from us than we realize. And the next point that I want to make is that, that all parents teach more than they know that they're teaching. And the other side is that children learn more than they know they're learning. As they're brought up in a family, they learn things and they don't even know that they're learning it, and it was no exception to our Lord Jesus. Now, going back earlier in the chapter to the presentation of Jesus in the temple, you find that he is consecrated by his parents, and then there's this, the declaration of Simeon, and then there's the gratitude and the prophecy of Anna. But you see, as our Lord grew up, he was in the home of a carpenter and his wife. And while he was a son of God, he grew in wisdom. And no doubt, a lot of the good that he learned was from his parents because he grew like other children grew because he was a real human being too. So it says the child grew and became strong. This is in verse 40, another summary. The child grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. And so we teach our children the most important lessons even when we don't know that we're teaching them. Now, in the story, in the earlier part here, when Jesus is dedicated in the temple, you find that Mary and Joseph were very obedient to the voice of God says in verse 21, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, Jesus, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. And so you find that they're very obedient. This is a godly couple. And you find their devotion. When they actually go to the temple, you actually find that they offered a pair of doves and two young pigeons. Now, that's actually a quote from Leviticus chapter 12, and there it says that the firstborn male must be presented to the Lord with a young lamb and a young and a pigeon and a dove. There's no mention of a lamb here. But if they cannot afford a lamb, they're to offer two of pigeons or two doves. And so that's what we read, that they actually offered a pair of doves and two young, or two young pigeons. So in other words, it wasn't a wealthy family. It was a poor kind of family. It was a peasant kind of family. But our Lord Jesus grew in wisdom, and a lot of his upbringing, obviously, was because of the godliness and was shown the obedience and the God focus 
of his mum and dad. It's true, isn't it, that many of us decide to follow the Lord because of the influence of our parents. It was certainly true in my life. And I think back at our little assembly, Lindhurst Street Gospel Hall, Palmerston North, the result of a revival that went on, a mini-revival, under the preaching of Enoch Coppin. And so eventually the little assembly was started, and that's how I was brought up in the Lindhurst Street Gospel Hall. And my overwhelming memory of that little group was this. They were godly men and women. They loved God. They didn't make a lot of noise, but they sincerely, deeply loved God. Tremendous influence in my life. And I look back on those years, and they taught me to love the Bible, and they taught me to love God, and they taught me to love the gospel. And that's a good heritage. And we have the privilege as parents and as friends, as Fano as we've been reminded of having an influence in the lives of those who are close to us. And so you find here in this passage, there's obedience and devotion. And as Jesus and his brothers and his sisters were brought up, they were brought up in a godly home. And it's up to us as parents to provide that kind of shelter, that kind of upbringing for our children as well. And so our, long, our Lord as a young boy would have learned much from his parents, and this is in accord with the Bible, of course, Deuteronomy 6, which says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, parents, teach your children. Instruct them purposefully because you will be instructing them in the way that you react as a parent. And as I was thinking about this, it seems to me that the things that we learn as we grow up are things like respect. We learn a lot from our fathers. Sometimes we have to emphasize this. I have a quotation here from Winston Churchill, and this is what he says. He's talking about his father. And he says, my father wouldn't listen to me or consider anything that I said there was no companionship with him possible, and I tried so hard and so often. He was so self-centered. No one else existed for him. He treated me as if I had been a fool, barked at me whenever I questioned him. I owe everything to my mother, to my father, nothing. Isn't that sad? I mean, we have the privilege of bringing children into the world, and we also have the privilege of bringing them up in the ways of God. I was reading a story given by Ravi Zacharias. It's actually about his own life. An Olympian came into his office, and he said he was very muscly and very strong, and he hoped that muscles were contagious. But, of course, muscles aren't contagious. But anyway, that's what he hoped. And he told the story. He said, the Olympian said that when he was a 12-year-old boy, he decided he wanted to be a runner. And so he actually got a film. This is back before DVDs and so on. He got a film and he broke it down step by step to watch how champion runners ran. And so he studied being a champion runner. He got no encouragement from his father at all. Everything that he tried to do, his father would try to put him down, ridicule him, despise him, whatever. Thought it was a waste of time, a waste of money. Eventually, he made the American Olympic team. And as he was talking to Zacharias, he said, as I, as I was there at the starting blocks, 
And the first half a second, as the gun went off, I thought to myself, I wonder if my father's watching. And it could be that that thought held him back from a fraction of a second. He got a bronze medal. But the point that Zacharias is making, and I'm making this morning, is that our father's opinion and our father's example is very powerful in the development of a child. We know it about mothers, and sometimes we don't realize a father is very, very powerful. And we know that Joseph, the Bible says, was a righteous man. Whatever he did, he did righteously. To live a righteous life means that you do what is right time and time again. And he was a righteous man. And our Lord Jesus was brought up in that environment. And the Bible says that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. I'd just like to identify one or two things because we're trying to make this relevant to our lives, my life. And that is one of the things that we learn within the family very often is that of respect. And when we speak well of God's people, our children take that on board. And when we criticize God's people, our children take that on board as well. Some of you will know the name Harold Sinjin. Harold Sinjin visited New Zealand several times, uh, way before I was born, actually. But I've read his sermons that he gave. They were transcribed. He tells a story, and I understand that it was here in New Zealand, that he was invited to have dinner at the home of a particular lady in the meeting in the assembly meeting. And um, during the, as they began the conversation, the four boys, they had four boys, like our family actually, but I mean, in which I was brought up, four boys in the family, and they began to talk critically of God's people. That night, or rather I should say, at that stage, Harold St. John stood up, and he was very much a gentleman apparently. He was had been a banker, he was an English gentleman. He even wore spats. You know, I mean, that's the kind of man he was. But he stood up and he said, you'll have to excuse me because I don't stay where God's people are being criticised. And the lady was embarrassed and she apologised and so on. That night he preached and the next morning early he got a phone call and it was the lady who had been his, his hostess the night before and she said, I haven't slept a wink. She said, what you said about criticising God's people, he said, you will have noticed that none of my boys were at the meeting last night. We've always thought that we'd be open and frank in front of our children, but now they don't want anything to do with the church. You see, children amplify our feelings and our conversation. If I'm annoyed with somebody and my child knows that I'm annoyed with them, then they begin to hate that person. Do you know what I mean? So we have to be very careful. Show respect. Speak well of God's people because our children pick that up. And love. Tremendous love, I mean, how to express love, how to recognize love is something that we learn within the family circle. I mentioned Ravi Zacharias. In another book, he tells a story. He calls it a very rough parable that he had learned in India. And the very rough parable goes like this. There was a man who loved a woman, and he loved her uh, to the depth of his heart. But he loved his mother too. And the one whose love he was courting and nurturing, this other woman, knew that he loved his mother. And she said, unless you love me more than you love your mother, I will not marry you. Now, this is grotesque, but it's making a point, and he makes that point. She said, unless you bring your mother's heart to me, 
I will know that you love her more than you love me. So he did the unmentionable, killed his mother, and he brought his the mother his mother's heart in his hands as he ran towards his girlfriend to give it to her. And as he was running through the forest, he tripped, and the hand the heart fell out of his hand, and he he tried to find it because the love of his girlfriend depended on the love that he had in, for his mother it had to be greater. So eventually he found the heart. And he as he picked up the heart and put it in his palm and said, Son, are you hurt? Son, are you hurt? And you get the point, don't you? We learn love from our parents. Jesus learned love, no doubt, from his family circle as well. Finally, that last thing that I would mention would be forgiveness. And we could talk about a lot of things that can creep into a family where instead of love and harmony and graciousness and generosity, we become bickering and we become small-minded. That's possible. But forgiveness is really important. One of the interesting things, I mean, obviously Joseph and Mary were criticized when it was found out that she was with child and she knew why and Joseph knew why, but they were subject to criticism. But there's no indication that they became vengeful and tried to get their own back. And revenge never is good within the family circle. I'd just like to conclude these comments with a challenge, and the challenge is this. Am I growing in favor with God and men? It doesn't matter how old we are, we can grow in favor in the sense that our relationship with God can be stronger, our relationship with other people can be enhanced. And as you come towards the end of Peter's epistles, he says, grow in, he's writing to every believer, he's writing to me, he's writing to you, no matter what your age is. He says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the challenge is, am I growing in grace and in the knowledge of my Lord Jesus Christ? I'm going to ask you to make a response to the word of God. As the Spirit of God has whispered into your heart this morning, I want you to respond. And a suggested prayer is coming up on the screen. And if it reflects how you feel, I invite you to pray. We're just going to pray silently for a few seconds. And, or just alter the prayer as you respond to the word of God. Because you see, Jesus said that it's the preaching of the word, the dissemination of the word is like seed sown on the ground and Satan comes and snatches it away before the seed can take root. And that's what happens. And we hear the preaching of the word of God and we know that something needs to change, but we get caught up in other things and before long we've forgotten. So I'm asking you to respond now. Now I ask you to pray something like this, Lord. I thank you for the coming of your son to save us, including me. Please help me to grow in grace and in the knowledge of my Lord. I want to be different from what I am right now. Please work in my life in the area of... and. You specify what it is that you want to grow in and may your son be seen in me. Let's just take 20 seconds to respond to the voice of the Spirit of God and the preaching of the Word of God this morning and let us just pray to the Lord whatever it is that we feel we need to express to him. Just 20 seconds of silent prayer and then I'll lead us in prayer.
Lord, you've heard every prayer. These prayers are offered in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who by your grace is our Saviour. Amen. Amen.